Hi everyone and welcome to the Parma podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. I'm really excited today to have a another new guest onto the show uh, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Um, so um, uh, Kevin M. Nye, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's really great to have you. Um, yeah, and yeah, there's so much we can talk about. Um, Kevin is uh, an author and a writer. He does a lot of work with with homeless people, and he's also been a contributor to uh, a book, um, Theology and the, and the Marvel Universe as well, which we're going to kind of focus on today. Um, yeah, so that's quite exciting. <laughs> um, so just, just tell us a bit about yourself, and then we'll get into kind of what we're going to talk about. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for that <clears throat> that introduction. Uh, yeah, I live in Los Angeles. Um, my two big passions uh, that are mostly don't overlap, but I guess every once in a while do is uh, you know theology and film, and then uh, my work in homeless services. Uh, so I have uh, I do a lot of writing on both of those topics, uh, and so I'm I'm happy to. Uh, get to talk about one of them because I've been doing a lot of talking about the, the homelessness stuff lately. So this will be a fun, uh, fun break a little bit. Yeah. And we'll talk about the, I think we'll get you back for another episode and talk about the homeless stuff because that is really important um, especially right now in the world that we're living in. Um, and it's important we, we talk about those issues, but um, yeah, today I think it'd be nice to just um, have a bit of fun exploring. Um theology in the mcu i mean i people who listen to this show you know me well enough know that i'm a big fan of comic book movies and uh, i love the mcu and i'm fascinated by um the kind of the, 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 the concept of story and the hero's journey and um identity and also just how superhero movies tend to kind of confront the big issues and mm-hmm and teach us a lot about the world. So um, this is a really interesting conversation for me. So tell us how you kind of got into thinking about all this stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I've always been interested in theology and film. I've always been interested in movies from, you know, as a kid. My, my mom tells me that my first word after mom and dad was video. Uh, so there's just always been a, a draw for me to to film and you know, I grew up reading a lot of Marvel comic books, especially Spider-Man and X-Men. And so when the MCU came about, I was definitely the target market. Um, it, it didn't, uh, I, I think I saw all of them in the first phase while they were in theaters, but it wasn't really till Avengers where I realized like, oh, this is, this worked and this is going to be a thing for a long time. And I'm very excited about that. Um and pretty much ever since then, I've I've seen all of them on opening night um, in theaters at least once, uh, except for Thor: The Dark World. <laughs> and it's it's funny because that's widely considered to be the worst one, but I didn't even know that at the time. I just kind of intuitively wasn't as interested in it. Um, mm. And then, yeah, it turned out that that was justified. Yes, it was. That, that, yeah, that that movie is not. I think I've seen that movie in the cinema and that's it. I haven't seen it since. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, that's not the best. That's not the best Marvel movie for sure. But yeah, I mean, that sounds a bit like my experience really is. 
Uh, I mean, I grew up with kind of Superman the movie. That was my that was my my movie growing up. And then when I, I saw um, Tim Burton's Batman when I was twelve years old in the cinema. Uh, so I kind of grew up with the DC heroes, like uh, not really into Marvel that much, although a little bit into Marvel, but not not as much. But yeah, and but the MCU's been incredible. Um, I absolutely love it. And some of the characters I I didn't know as well, and I got to know them and really fell in love with them. Captain America in particular, didn't really know much about, um, hadn't encountered much before, and then you know blew me blew me away. Steve yeah. Rogers and that whole his whole character arc and um, you know the writing on his character and the you know Chris Evans just blew me away with that character, and I resonate so much with that character. Um, and you know, Captain America and the Winter Soldier is still for me the best MCU movie. Um, yeah, it's the one I've seen more than any other, and I it doesn't it doesn't go out of date. So yeah, I'm with you there. I I am I'm constantly uh, reorganizing the list of favorites, but it's it's spent a lot of time as number one. Um, I love how much of it's just kind of a spy thriller. I love what it's about thematically. I actually thought about just doing a tweet thread about how if you like Captain the Winter Soldier, then you should support defund the police. I thought about doing that today or sometime this week because of just how how resonant those themes are about you yeah. know the surveillance and police state. Um, yeah, it was really it was a little bit ahead of its time for for the for it being a popular concept um certainly not from you know activist perspective but. yeah it's true it's true there's so much in that movie uh it's a deconstruction movie hmm. in many ways that where he kind of loses or where the kind of realities of the system are like where he sees the realities of the system that he's been part of mm-hmm. and decides right i'm going to tear the whole thing down <laughs> Pretty much, um, which is a big metaphor for today. Um, yeah, with the defund the police and yeah, everything that's going on in the world. Yeah, um, yeah, that movie is really, uh, really relevant. And I, again, it, I just, I just resonated so much with with a guy that kind of finds out that everything that he brought, brought up with um, to be right and just and everything and good is is actually systemically bad <laughs> mm-hmm. um and um and then he has to find his his ident- his identity again outside of that um which is the next the next few movies you know and i feel like at, at the end game he kind of he's his full embodied self at last um i feel like that that um his story arc is fantastic. I could do a whole podcast on his story arc to be honest it's it's so good oh yeah his his and contrasted with Tony Stark's, I think those are the two. Mm. Uh, those are the two arcs that Marvel, you know, really banked on and paid the most attention to. And it's really interesting how they sort of start from opposite ends and end up completely crossing over. Because you know, Tony Stark starts out as I'm a rebel. This is my suit. The government can't take it, and ends up, you know, at Civil War saying government oversight is a good thing. And then in the end being ends up being the one who, you know, sacrifices himself to save the entire world. 
Captain America starts as the guy who would sacrifice himself to save for the whole world and is a soldier of the government. By the time he gets to Civil War, he's saying no government. And in the end, he actually gives up the hero's life and like makes a choice for himself, like a self-care choice. Um, yeah, so, for the first time in his life. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So I, I love that. And especially at Civil War and right after, they almost like in that crisis point, they learn from each other. And that really culminates in Endgame where they both kind of synthesize what each one kind of values and holds and ends up uh, landing in, in the other's position in a way. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, those two arcs are really interesting. Um, yeah, <laughs> how they cross over. I was, yeah, and I think I've always had an eye for those kind of things just because I just grew up with these kind of stories and I I learned about the hero's journey and the, the concept of story and how it works and everything just intuitively almost from when I was a child. Mm-hmm. Um so I always kind of picked up a little bit on these things. It was, um, yeah, because I intuitively knew that that uh, to be that I wanted to be on Team Cap for uh, Civil War. That I knew that that I knew what it would be. I knew that it would be kind of him just doing the right thing regardless of the system, and that Tony Stark had gone the other way because he'd experienced this big trauma, like in Avengers. Um, and starts having panic attacks and all this kind of thing. And and he deals with that with certainty, you know, with structure and everything. Whereas, like, Steve kind of deconstructs and just lets go of all of that. And, um, yeah, it's really interesting, that mood, those, those, those stories. Yeah. <laughs> I think they've got a lot to say about, about, our personal journeys now and what bad choices can lead us to and what good choices can lead us to. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really telling that, you know, the, the big crisis that happens in infinity war, uh, the, the Russo brothers have said that, you know, the reason that the Avengers lose is because they weren't together. Um, you know, half of the Avengers fight Thanos on Titan and the other half try to fight him on earth. Uh, and if they had all been together, then they might have been able to stop him. But because of the events of Civil War, they were fractured and um, Thanos was able to kind of fight them in two different groupings and ultimately come out on top. Yeah, that's good insight. That's good insight. Yeah. Yeah, they're all divided in that movie. All the kind of divisions are laid bare in that movie because yeah, when you have Bruce Banner come back and he has no idea what's happened. Mm-hmm. And he's like, what? You, you, what? You fell out? You broke up? Like, yeah. <laughs> the Beatles? You know? Um, and he's like in shock. Like, how did this happen? Uh, yeah. And uh, then you realize just how bad it's, it's got. Um, yeah, there's so many lessons about... Um, yeah, again, it's it's almost like you have community and then people want to break away from that and have their own journeys. And, um, and when that happens, kind of you lose friends and you lose that community in one sense. Like church, like when you want to leave, the, someone wants to leave the church completely, if someone wants to leave Christianity completely, 
um, there's a whole bunch of people that you lose. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, what, I mean, you, you obviously you contributed to this, to this book. What, what, what did you kind of cover and explore uh, in, in that, in that book? Yeah. So the book was being written kind of in between infinity war and Endgame. I think obviously it wanted to, it wanted to come out around the time the Endgame was coming out and be um, in the cultural moment. Right. Um, so, but it also wasn't specific to the MCU. It also included comic books and the Netflix TV shows. Mm-hmm. Um, so the book is a series of essays uh, by different people focusing on one topic, either one comic book storyline or one movie or one series or one season of a series. And I chose uh, Thor Ragnarok to write about. Um, I, I I feel like I could look at almost any of the MCU movies and, you know, and <laughs> write an essay. But at the time I was especially interested in, how Thor Ragnarok handles uh, colonialism, um, specifically uh, the notion in that movie where really the the whole inciting incident is because um, Asgard has covered up and painted over a really violent history uh, where they were colonizing the universe with Hela, uh, and when. Um, when they figured out that that was when Odin figured out that that was not the right thing to do, he banished Hela and literally covered it up. There's the the scene where the the frescoes on the ceiling are literally covered up by ones that look happy and peaceful. And when Hela removes them, you see underneath the original ones that are of you know violence and warfare. Uh, and so how Thor steps into that realizing, I mean, it's, it's another deconstruction movie (laughs) in a way. Uh, Thor, Thor comes to realize, Oh my gosh, I've, I've been told all these lies and this heritage that I've inherited is actually one of violence and pain. How do I overcome that? Um, So he's, he's essentially fighting against, you know, a history of, colonialism and, and owning it. And, and ultimately what ends up happening in that movie is they lose their entire planet. That's the only way to defeat this, this wound or to, uh, to overcome it. And so um, I was just very interested in that in studying from, you know, a post-colonial Christian uh, framework. I specifically leaned on uh, Willie Jennings book, the Christian imagination Mm-hmm. Uh, and kind of his his insight into it's not just that the church was uh, present for colonialism and slavery, but they were all they were they were in it. They were it. They were the driving force. Um, they were the motivators. They were the theologizers, the philosophers of the creation of that movement. Um, and so it's really, it's asking a similar question, Christians today going, okay, I've now discovered that <laughs> we were complicit in, in all of this. What, what do we do? And, and what is it going to cost? I think is the big um, lesson from that, that movie. Um, I, I love that there is a huge loss portrayed. They, they aren't able to defeat Hela without 
um, kind of experiencing their own uh, loss of uh, literally physical land. Um, there's just, it's been a while since I wrote it, but there was so much to kind of dig into there. Um, yeah. I, 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 yeah. I picked up that when I watched it, there was an, and I was like, hold on, they've, they've, they've covered up this entire history. You know, Hella comes and says, kind of almost, you don't know anything. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You have no idea about who your father really is. You have no idea about what he did, what was done in the past before you grew up. Um, you, you just don't have any idea. Uh, and... It's like wow, you know, you see all this stuff and like, okay, uh, and then it's at the end. It's again, it's just like he, Thor realizes, doesn't he, that the the only way, the only way forward is to just let Ragnarok happen, let let Asgard be destroyed, yeah, uh, and just that the people are what matter, and uh, and he and that's what he does, you know. Yeah. It's like again, it's there are similarities with the Winter Soldier because it's about tearing, tearing the whole thing down mm-hmm. and starting over. Yeah, um, yeah, it's something dying so something new can be born. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Thor's whole arc, character arc is really interesting um, as well, like especially in that movie and subsequent movies. Um, his depression and his. Um, kind of, yeah, just sinking into addiction and all this kind of thing. It's we don't we don't notice it quite. We don't kind of pick up on on it quite as much because it's a superhero movie, I guess. But it but it's actually really deep, you know, and uh, it's really powerful when you kind of deep it. It these stories are really powerful and they really they're really relevant to the world that we live in. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and Taika Waititi is writing Thor Ragnarok as, you know, an indigenous person from New Zealand. Uh, so it's extremely intentional, but he's also such a comedic genius that, you know, you can watch the movie as a straight comedy and not really, and allow that stuff to just go right past you. But even, even pieces of the movie that are almost strictly comedic, like when he's on, um, uh, what's what's the planet called in the middle? Yeah. Uh, I know the planet that he on to wait, the Jeff, Jeff Goldblum's planet. Yeah, that's uh, a Goldblum's planet. Yeah, yes. even <laughs> like that that whole segment of the movie is so absurd and fun and funny, but also you can view it through the lens of like Thor had to himself experience displacement, exile, and even like a form of enslavement in order to, to fully reckon with Asgard's history, you know? Um, so yeah, it's all, and that's, what's really the beauty of the MCU. I think is that when it's done really well, and it most often is, is there are all these themes that are like just right there below the surface. And I think people can internalize them without even realizing it. Um, or you can dig and, and really elicit those themes out of there. Um, and it's not, not all, not all good, but I, most of them, uh, I find a lot of resonance with. Yeah. And one of the things that comes up a lot for me in 
all comic book movies, but um, and we've seen it especially in the MCU recently, is grief mm-hmm. and, and how people characters reckon with grief. Um, so many, you know. I mean, you have you have um, Tony Stark who's dealing with the loss of his father and the, the breakdown of that relationship before he died and stuff, and um, and we see that kind of process through. Um, through Civil War, especially, uh, and then at the end in Endgame, where he meets his literally meets his father, and kind of makes peace with him, mm-hmm. uh, and and that's also evident in in Thor as well. I mean, in, again, Thor gets to meet his mother on the day that she died, um, and for me, as somebody who's lost my mother, that was that scene is always quite emotional. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And but he's he's processing all this grief, you know. He's he's lost his people, he's lost his mother, he's lost his father, um, and he's and lost brother his, by his that point. Well, yeah, because although Loki isn't 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 the most honest, um, decent person in the world, he's still his brother. They still grew up with him. Um, so there's, I mean, there's grief as well that these characters experience and. A lot. I've I've found that a lot of what drives superheroes is grief. Actually, mm-hmm. a lot of superheroes. I mean, you look at the great great superhero stories. They've all people who've lost someone. You know, Spider Man loses Uncle Ben. Um, Batman loses his parents. Superman loses um, his earth earthly father. Um, there's so many um, stories where. You know, characters lose their parents, and the grief kind of drives them to to become who they're meant to be, uh, to become mm-hmm. that character. Uh, even Steve Rogers loses both his both his parents. You know, yeah. um, well, and then his entire his entire world <laughs> when he gets frozen and comes back. You know, yeah, and yeah, he loses Peggy. Yeah, um, and he loses Bucky. You know, uh, and then he has to kind of find his way back with Bucky when they kind of meet again later on. Yeah. And he's basically on his own. He feels like he said, he feels like he's on his own his whole life. And yeah. So there's so much of all of that in there that so many important issues that these stories connect us with. And I think that's why they were why people resonate with them so much is because they deal with them and they deal with them really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, thinking of, I think the Iron Man movies, um, especially the first two, are really, are in a lot of ways about the military industrial complex and our history in, you know, selling weapons. Tony Stark kind of reconciles with that. Um, yeah, there's there's ones that are kind of, well, I think they all carry a little bit of both, but there's like a larger kind of socio-political thing happening. And there's also a, like a very personal character, individual thing that anyone can relate with on a more personal level. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, what are the biggest lessons that you've learned from these, from these stories from, well, from the comics, but also from the movies? Hmm. Yeah, it's so different for all of them. They run such a such a gamut. I mean, one that we haven't even talked about because it's often forgotten about is Doctor Strange. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. 
And that one for me, um, if I didn't write about Thor, I was going to submit about Dr. Strange. Um, just being a movie about fundamentalism. Um, and actually the, the writer director, Scott Derrickson is, you know, a former evangelical. I think he went to Biola, which is a very, uh, very, very evangelical school here in Los Angeles. Um, and yeah, the movie is basically a, a, a battle of philosophies between Dr. Strange and Mordo and the ancient one of like, how, how much can you bend the rules in order to accomplish good? And the ancient one goes too far in one direction. Mordo is an absolute fundamentalist and Dr. Strange is the one who kind of finds the middle ground where you can uh, sort of see why the rules are in place, but your motivation through them is uh, self-sacrifice, you know? Um, And so ultimately at the, in the end, when he uses the time stone, he's breaking the rules. You're not supposed to do that, but he does it in a, in a way that he's putting his own life at stake rather than using it to, you know, extend his life like the ancient one did. Um, And ultimately that in the end credits, we see that Mordo is radicalized even more and we don't know what the MCU still has in store for him, but um, that's a storyline that can continue. So I'm just, I, I'm, I'm so excited about these movies because they, I don't necessarily learn um, like a new idea from them as much as I see in their storytelling, the, the playing out of ideas that often feel very, disconnected or ephemeral, you know, um, to actually see them play out in stories with people who you connect to, um, just makes the, the understanding and the the grounding of those truths so much more accessible. Mm. And so I'm, I'm always interested in using that as an opportunity to do, to do theology. Um, I, for a while, had a failed YouTube channel called God in the MCU, (laughs) where I was trying to make video essays based on um, the Marvel movies. And um, yeah, and so I've always been just trying to find some kind of outlet in order to like use these movies to talk about, um, to, to do theology, because there's, there's such perfect examples that not only are accessible, but they're being accessed. Like everyone is seeing these movies. So it's right there, you know? Yeah. 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 And you're right about Dr. Strange. That really is about, I know again, something I noticed was, yeah, it's, you have almost two ends of fundamentalism and then you have kind of Dr. Strange finding the nuance in between them for the greater good. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, and you see him in subsequent movies having to make the right choice, but it's the painful choice. Mm-hmm. Like, um, <laughs> um, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's, that's that's a really, and I'm interested to see where that goes as well. I mean, I'm really curious about the next the next Doctor Strange movie because. Uh, 
um, I think that guy is the, that guy's going to come back, and we're going to see what what he's become, and uh, that's going to be a really interesting story. Yeah. Um, I think there's I think the the most recent the most recent offerings as well are really interesting. Uh, One division, um, I thought was fascinating. Yeah, um, there was so much in that. There's so much in that uh, about grief, about certainty, about um, my evangelicalism, um, about um, kind of white supremacy, I think, as well, um, kind of enslaving people um, out of your out of your grief, out of your anger, out of your you know, um, uh, and also about the power of grief as well. Mm-hmm. Um, for good and for bad, uh, and yeah, at the end, at the end, it's like you're not really sure whether she's a villain or a hero. Um, uh, and it's a really interesting story. Uh, and that again, that I think that's going to be continued in the Doctor Strange sequel as well. So it's going to be interesting to see where that goes. Um, and then we have Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which like is taking on so many relevant issues right now. Um, mm-hmm. you know, white supremacy and, um, systemic racism. And like, there's that one scene in, uh, where, um, Sam and Bucky are outside a house getting into a car and police officers pull up and just say, is say to Bucky, is this, is this guy bothering you? Like, and, you know, and they get arrested. He gets arrested for doing nothing. Literally has done nothing except stand on the street and it was like, wow, this is really like on the nose, right? Um, and that's why these stories are important because they just remind us, like, of the reality of these these things that are happening in the world, and they confront us with it. Yeah, I, I had a really awesome uh, clubhouse chat with a few people on Wandavision. Um, I don't know if you follow Robert Monson on on oh, Twitter. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw his take on One Division as well. well I, yeah, I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, yeah, I pulled him in because of that that take. His take was uh, that he really liked the show, but in the end, uh, the fact that Wanda faces no accountability for having enslaved everyone, like you were describing, uh, in her grief, and that it's sort of like written off as okay, um, is kind of troublesome. Is very troublesome, I should say. Uh, I think we were talking in the room that it really would just take one little rewrite because there's a scene where, um, oh gosh, I'm struggling to remember characters' names now. Um, Monica Rambo, um, mm-hmm. where she kind of goes up to Wanda in the end of all of it and says like, or Wanda says, they think I'm a villain or they, they hate me or something. And Monica goes, they'll never know what you sacrificed for them. And if I could just go in and remove that, (laughs) that little bit of dialogue and leave it more ambiguous and not have a central character tell Wanda that it was like all okay for some reason, I think the show would have been a little more nuanced with its conclusion there. Um, Because really Wanda has always been both a villain and a hero, right? She started as a villain, joined the Avengers, but then the next movie we see her in, she accidentally kills a bunch of people and starts the 
the Sokovia Accords. Uh, and so she's always kind of lived in that tension. Um, and I, yeah, I just, I wish that WandaVision would have left her a little more in that tension, even as she becomes more of who she is. Um, but yeah, I think there's, there's still definitely a chance to resolve that with her appearance in the next Dr. Strange movie. I just, I hope that the MCU doesn't leave it as like, uh, Oh yeah, she was a hero and she just did it because she was sad and that's okay, you know. Yeah, yeah, we can see how they how they explore that. Yeah. Um I'm not even sure if she's gonna be a hero or a villain in that movie. Right. Yeah. I'm not I I I can't figure it out. Um yeah. So that'll be an interesting one. <laughs> so um yeah, that will be an interesting one. But it yeah, I wish I'd been on that chat. That sounds like a really interesting conversation. But um, yeah, I wish we had recorded it. I thought about it afterwards. Like, oh my gosh, we could have recorded that and like put it out as like a podcast or something because it was so interesting. But hindsight is twenty twenty. I did not record it. Yeah, I didn't know you could record record uh, record those. But um, yeah, I mean, in terms of your own spiritual journey, your own personal journey. How have these stories helped you and helped you on that journey and impacted you, impact that, impacted that journey? Sure. Yeah, I think, um, so I, I grew up watching a lot of movies, but, you know, I had pretty strict boundaries on what types of movies I could watch. Like a lot of people who grew up in the church, you know, every set of parents is different about that, but they're, it's all kind of built on this, um, belief that there are certain, there are certain things that are out there that are, uh, inherently evil. And that if you, if you watch them, then you are going to like internalize evil. You know, it's similar to this, like you play violent video games and you become violent argument. Um, and I think part of my faith journey um, through getting educated theologically, I, I did a both undergrad and a and an MDiv, um, and a lot of what I learned and deconstructed in that time is sort of reversing this idea that you know I, as a quote unquote clean person, need to engage the world from the posture of trying to not get dirty. <laughs> from the world uh, rather than uh, engaging the world to in a way that, that Jesus did, which is not, uh, you know, Jesus didn't go around going like, Oh no, don't touch me. Don't make me unclean. He actually made other people who were considered unclean clean. Uh, it was sort of the reverse uh, of that the mindset at the time that I think we still have a lot of today in the evangelical church, especially in the tradition I grew up in, which is a holiness tradition, which is, Oh my gosh, don't go to movies. Don't dance. Don't do any of these things that are, you know, could, could make you, uh, make you sinful or make you, uh, catch evil. (laughs) Like it's the flu. Um, and so movies are a really good, metaphor for that for me, because, you know, I was, I was always scared of particular types of movies or, or like these movies are okay for these reasons. And these ones aren't. 
and my my journey with kind of broadening theologically at the same time that I kind of expanded what I was watching and what I was reading um, sort of synthesized in this idea that like, actually like there aren't things that are sacred and other things are profane. Like you can find the sacred anywhere. Um, And so looking at, you know, any type of film, you can, uh, you don't have to be afraid of engaging it, right? You can, you can uh, approach it from the mindset that like uh, God, God can be in all things. Um, And so the MCU is probably something I would have, I would definitely been allowed to watch as a kid. So it's not the perfect example of this, but my approach to film in general uh, has mirrored my, my broadening theology, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, It's been a similar journey for me as well. Um, As I've understood more about story and more about these stories and engage with them, I found myself in them a lot. And it made me think about where I am on my journey. And because I notice the bigger picture and I see the and I see metaphor quite clearly when I watch these movies, I often it often gets me thinking about the real world and my part in it. And you know, um, and again, I come back to that Winter Soldier movie. That 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 really got that. I was at the early stages of deconstruction at that point, and I was. That really did get me thinking about, oh gosh, right, yeah, what systems have I been part of that maybe aren't healthy, um, mm-hmm. and that maybe I need to leave behind, and maybe even need to fall down. Um, you know, I'm sure that play that that maybe played a part in my in my deconstruction for sure, mm-hmm. um, because it was very much part of my part of my journey, my part of my lived experience was. Was, was having that happen around me and having my eyes opened to to what was really going on. I think that's many people's story. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, I think I think all of us, if we have our eyes open, we can see ourselves in these stories. And I think what I what what I would love to see is people engage with these stories and actually reflect on them and start to think about the wider implications of them and uh, for them and for the world that we live in. Because I think if we could do that, that would, that would help us to change and to grow and help and actually maybe even help the world change. You know, it would, it would, um, it would be a better, it would be a better place if we could really engage with these stories and what they really mean and what they're telling us about the world. Absolutely. I think WandaVision is such a perfect example of that because it, it was, it's the most, it's the MCU's most personal story that is, you know, it's, it's not behind, it's not underneath too many layers to know that it's a story about grief. Right. Um, and it came out during a period of kind of collective global grief, uh, yeah with COVID and everything that we're all experiencing together. Like it was the right moment for a story like that. Um, that was very on the nose and kind of on the surface about what it was about. So, um, and, and I, I really, 
resonate with what you said about these stories ability to change the world. Like I, I really deeply believe that. Um, and uh, I think that culture shapes movies and also movies shape culture. Um, I think it's true of any art form. Um, but even just thinking um, an example I use a lot is that after the movie Bambi came out, I think in the forties deer hunting like plummeted for five straight years. Um, that after, because of how many people saw that movie and how just the depiction of, you know, death in that movie um, caused a huge cultural shift for a while. Um, and it may be the case that a bunch of people would have been able to say, I watched Bambi and now I no longer support deer hunting. Um, I bet it was a lot more implicit than that, right? Uh, it's, it's not like a documentary that makes people go stop going to McDonald's for a little while. Um, it was a story that, that put you in the experience, not telling you facts. It wasn't hitting you with numbers or experiments or data. It was just a a story that generated empathy. Uh, Roger Ebert, uh, was quoted as saying that films are, are empathy machines, uh, when they're at their best. They, they can create empathy in people because they put you in the shoes of uh, somebody who you're not used to seeing something from their perspective or you're, you're maybe seeing something that's similar to your perspective, but you're watching them go through something that you've never gone through or something that you've been afraid to go through or something that you have gone through but haven't uh, processed and uh, a story can sort of give you that distance to allow yourself to go, okay, I've experienced grief. This story is about grief. I'm going to go on this journey with them. And through that experience a catharsis myself, but there's like that distance between you and the character kind of is a safety net in a way. It's like a buffer mm-hmm. to prevent that, uh, that processing from being as hurtful as it can sometimes be or as painful uh, so yeah, I'm with you. The, these stories that when they're done really well and are done with, you know, integrity and, and a, a layer of truth to them really can change us, uh, in positive ways. And the risk is that they can also change us in negative ways. Um, but I've been really with the MCU been primarily very hopeful and, um, pleased with kind of the, the values that they inhabit. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't say it better myself. That's, um, that's so true. Um, yeah. I'd encourage everyone to go and watch those movies again and think about what's really going on underneath the surface mm-hmm. um, because, uh, yeah, it's powerful. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you. This has been really, really great. Yeah. I've loved this conversation. <laughs> Me too. I could probably talk about this all day, you know. <laughs> uh, it's one of my favorite subjects. But um, but yeah, how can people connect with connect with you and, and with your work? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter primarily. Uh, I'm at KevinMNye1. Uh, somebody else beat me to that handle first, so I'm number one. Um, 
And then uh, my website is kevinmni.com. Both of those accounts are more focused on my work with homelessness though. So if you're interested in kind of what we've been talking about related to movies uh, and kind of theological engagement with them, uh, I have a different Twitter account for that. That's at theophany film. Um, I'm sure you can put that in the show notes or, or something. Um, so people can find it. Uh, and that connects you with, uh, there's a YouTube channel that I do a little bit with, and there's a blog that I write on, uh, just engaging, you know, engaging film from the perspective of, of theology, looking for, you know, signs of, of light or truth or God in, in popular pop culture. Fantastic. That's fantastic. I highly recommend everyone check that out. Um, so, um, yeah, thanks for listening everybody. And, uh, and thanks for being my guest today, Ken, uh, Kevin. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Take care everyone. <laughs>